breaking down the news, going beyond the headlines, and unpacking the stories that we're told. I'm James Matheson, and this is Today Week. All right, thanks for tuning in. I mean, it's been a crazy year in terms of news stories and so much has been lost in the wash in the hype around the pandemic and lockdowns and vaccinations. But one of the stories that wasn't even a blip on the news radar over the past few months was the rushing through by our government of sweeping new surveillance laws in early September that put a chill through the legal profession and many civil liberty and human rights groups alike. Now, this new bill that was pushed through, called the Surveillance Legislation Amendment Bill, or the Identify and Disrupt Bill, gives police unprecedented new hacking powers that allows them to copy, add, modify, or delete data on your devices, collect or intercept anything that they require from or to your network, And allows police to take control and operate your online accounts to gather information for an investigation, whether it be your email or Facebook or your social media. Now, at the time, there was little noise raised from the public, but the Human Rights Law Centre were very critical, saying that the bill lacked sufficient safeguards and that it was written so broadly that ordinary citizens are at risk of becoming unwitting targets. As we mentioned, it was pushed through, but the biggest problem with the whole thing was the fact that these brand new expansive powers were not pushed through, but rammed through Parliament in less than 24 hours while we were in the middle of lockdowns and in the middle of a pandemic. There was no consultation, there was no public feedback, there was no debate in Parliament, and as we mentioned, there was very little to no media coverage. The scope of these laws have left many wondering if this isn't a continuation of Australia's slide into a surveillance state as our government chips away slowly but surely at you know, our fundamental rights to privacy so that they can appear you know, tough on crime. And the, the flip side of being tough on crime is that anyone who speaks out against these laws or shows any dissent gets hit with the cudgel of being soft on crime or on the side of the terrorists, which is a pretty effective way to beat down any dissent. Uh, And I get it. I get it. Most people say if you've done nothing wrong, then you've got nothing to worry about. But I then wonder, like, where would you draw the line? If you believe that, where would you draw the line? Like, would you be okay with authorities being able to turn on your webcam at home to watch what's going on in your house, in your living room, in your bedroom? Would you be okay with authorities being able to turn on the microphone on your mobile phone? You weren't even on it to listen in to private conversations, partner or with work colleagues. Would you be okay with the government being able to track your every move with facial recognition cameras? I mean, that's this sort of thing we just need to start thinking about. If we're okay with these sort of laws, where would we say enough is enough? Where would we draw the line? And although, you know, this sort of stuff isn't overly sexy, that's kind of why these stories matter. 
we love to think of Australia as a laid back and free and open society, but you know, those sort of values can't coexist in a surveillance state. And I'm not saying that we're there yet, but we've got to be vigilant because each tiny chip away at our rights begets another and another and another. And, you know, before you know it, the frog is boiled, so to speak. So to talk more about this bill, I'm joined by lawyer, author and spokesperson for the Australian Lawyers Alliance, Greg Barnes, SC. Thanks for joining us, Greg. Thank you. Now, these new surveillance legislation amendment laws that have passed and passed very quickly have sort of got under the radar a little bit in terms of mainstream news. It's not something that people can get excited about, partly because it's complicated, partly because they think it won't affect them. But what's the more chilling effect of things like this? Well, I think the more chilling effect is that uh, the AFP, uh, the Australian Federal Police, will be able to delete and alter data on a person's computer. They will be able to take control of a person's computer. And the threshold for being able to do that is relatively low. It's a a reasonable belief that they think a crime might be, you know, that a crime is being committed or likely to be committed. And in fact, there's also a power, if they think it's urgent enough, they don't actually have to get the relevant justification in the form of an affidavit to a judge or a magistrate, and so they can just go straight in. What's chilling about it is that in Australia, we have very few human rights protections, particularly in relation to privacy, uh, breaches of privacy, and it means that uh, that these laws are a further indication of the power of the AFP and security agencies over the political process in Canberra with very, very little dissent. Now, tell us about this idea of a warrant. You're a lawyer. What's the process normally if, say, the police need to get access to uh, my house or they need to go through my files? What does a warrant process normally look like for the physical world? I mean, it's similar in the sense that you have to be able to justify and usually in the form of what's called an affidavit, so a document that says, look, um, I suspect, you know, we've, we've been surveilling a house. Uh, we suspect that it's being used for drug manufacturing. We want to be able to enter that house and raid it. And it gets signed off, generally speaking, by a magistrate, occasionally by a judge, uh, and at the Commonwealth level also by members of the Administrative Appeals Tribunal. It's very, very rare for a court or a magistrate or a judge or administrative appeals tribunal not to issue a warrant. Mainly what police do is they go into a place or even search your laptop and they come across material that they think is relevant to something else, but it's not part of the warrant. And then the issue is whether, and I mean, it's essentially illegally obtained evidence, and the issue is whether or not that can be used in any criminal proceedings. Right. And how does that differ dramatically in this case? I've noted that instead of going to a superior court or to a judge, they can just go through the Administrative Appeals Tribunal. But how else is it different? Well, it's different in the sense that they can alter and delete data. You know, uh, if we look at this in the physical sense, they can't come into your house and smash up your furniture or remove, you know, your crockery. But here what they can do is they can alter or delete data and they can take over your laptop or, or your computer. So it's a recipe for abuse of power. You could just imagine circumstances in which police seek to, as they have done in the past, seek to plant evidence. Now, people say, oh, well, 
that'll be dealt with by a court, but sometimes it's not. There's a lack of oversight in this relation to this particular law, and that lack of oversight really is because it goes to the Inspector General of Security. Uh, and the Inspector General of Security is a relatively secretive organisation that deals with complaints, but it's not particularly transparent. So that's what's dangerous about these laws. You've also got to say, why are they necessary? And they're said to be necessary because, uh, you know, most recently the, the police trumpeted a number of raids that were done by essentially getting into the dark web. They've been able to do that anyway, and they can do it under existing laws. So why do they need further laws? The justification that's come from people who've put this bill forward has been that they need extra protections for terrorism, child abuse, terrorist planning, things of those nature, which I guess you might be able to make the case for. But it's hard to make the case for rushing these laws through so dramatically without proper process. I mean, is that the thing that worries you as much as the content of the laws, the fact that there hasn't been an opportunity for proper discussion and dissection of what's going on? Our concern is twofold. Firstly, I've never seen a police force, we've never seen a police force or security agency that doesn't want new powers. They always want new powers. Secondly, they've been able to keep this country very safe since 9-11 with existing laws. And every time they want new laws, they always wrap it under the rubric of uh, we want to prevent terrorist attacks, we want to prevent uh, child abuse. Who's going to argue against that? And if you argue against it, they say you're soft on terrorism, you're soft on child abuse. Now, that, of course, is uh, insulting. It's intellectually insulting and it's a nonsense. So that's the first concern. What justification is there for the new laws? What's extraordinary is that these laws pass a parliament within a space of 24 hours. It's your laptop, it's your phone, it's your computer, your hard drive, anyone in Australia. Imagine, for example, if they take control of someone's laptop or alternatively they alter and delete data. You might, for example, have an innocent association with a particular person and suddenly you find police at your doorstep you know, wanting to raid, you know, wanting to take your laptop because you're having a con- you've got a connection with a particular person. We saw that in the Mohammed Hanif case a number of years ago now in Australia where police abused their powers in linking Hanif with a SIM card that belonged to a cousin uh, in the UK who was involved in terrorist activity. And that's the problem with these laws, that they're so broad that they inevitably lead to abuses but also injustices. What do you think is unique about Australia in the sense that we continue to go down this path with very little resistance? Do you think it's because... Like you said, it's very easy to tar people with a brush of a a terrorism sympathiser if they try and raise any opposition to this, or is it we've got a fairly benign opposition in terms of their ability to stand up for civil liberties, or do you think we're quite a compliant population and we're not willing to rock the boat to the level that we see in other parts of the world? Well, I think, I think you've, you've touched upon three issues, which all of which are relevant. Firstly, despite Australia's reputation as being slightly maverick, this is an extremely compliant society. And we've seen that during the course of COVID. Australians are prepared to live with uh, major extensions of police power uh, and have been doing so for many years. Uh, and that's partly because of the political culture of this country, where both the major parties are captured by uh, security agencies and police forces. We, I can't think of the last time when an Australian government, 
either at the Commonwealth or state or territory level, said no to a police force or said no to a security agency when it came to an expansion of powers. The third point I'd make is that I think since uh, 9-11 and certainly since incidents like Tampa, where we saw the suspension of the rule of law uh, for political purposes to stop refugees coming to Australia, we have been sliding towards authoritarianism. Uh, Andrew Wilkie gave a speech, uh, I think, last week in the Parliament and commented on Twitter that it was the most watched speech to be given in 11 years, in which he made this very point. The last issue is we do not have proper human rights protections. We do not have, as you have in the UK or as you have in Canada or New Zealand, for example, um, something which can uh, really put a check on a rampant executive, and that is through uh, being able to enforce human rights. For example, uh, in relation to this particular law, the rights that people have to uh, privacy, which are enshrined in human rights laws, are much less able to be used in the Australian context. Illegally obtained evidence is more readily used in Australia than it is in countries where you've got greater human rights protections. You get the sense that every time something like this gets through unchallenged without any disruption from the opposition, without any call to account from the media, what it does is that it emboldens those who seek to push us down an authoritarian path to edge closer to a further reduction in human rights. Because if they can get away with this, then surely they can get away with what else they've got planned down the road because they haven't seen any blowback. They haven't seen resistance. They haven't seen anyone calling them to account. From my perspective, the more terrifying thing is that we no longer know where the line will be. We don't, it doesn't feel like there is a red line that you could be crossed that the community would say, okay, enough. And even when we got to that point, it feels like the, the, the frog has been boiled. It's happened so slowly that everything that's come before has got us to this point. I mean, I think that the difficulty is, I think since 9-11, we have passed over 80 pieces of legislation. Some of that legislation is frightening, truly frightening. For example, ASIO can designate an operation, a special operation. They can commit what would otherwise be criminal offences and, and civil wrongs. For example, they can falsely imprison a person, they could commit theft, a range of other what would otherwise be offences with very few limitations. And if you report on them as a member of the media, you go to jail. And, and this, of course, is what we've seen uh, where we saw journalists being raided by the AFP. This is a frightening world. And Australia has uh, definitely moved down a decidedly authoritarian path where we've had politicians on both sides of the fence who have not been prepared to stand for liberal values. And I think that's one of the major differences, that in other jurisdictions, particularly in Europe, for example, even in the UK and certainly in Canada, you have a stronger human rights culture which pushes back against these overreaches on the part of the security state and police forces. We've seen it also, you know, I might say in relation to COVID and the, and the QR app, We've got revelations now that police have been misusing that data in order to track what they say is criminal activity. That's had press. It had some press earlier this week, I think, in the, in the Fairfax papers, and it's had press in a number of jurisdictions, and yet only Western Australia has passed a law which prevents that data from being used. People seem quite content with the idea that police might misuse their power. So it's a culture which is really dangerous, and 
you know, sadly, one doesn't see any turning back. It's in contrast to where we were, say, 30, 40 years ago. I mean, when we the rise of the Whitlam government and law reform and through into the 1980s, we saw law reform. And then we've suddenly reversed to move back towards the sort of security state and fearful state where we're constantly looking for threats, real and imagined, concocted and, uh, and dramatised in our media. And we use that to justify these incursions into liberties. And I'm thinking here, for example, of the so-called foreign interference laws, which you know, essentially are the new reds under the bed laws. What do you think that people who are concerned about these laws are able to do if we've got a sort of a benign opposition and we want to try and push back at what's happening? The bludgeon of being soft on crime is a powerful one. Apart from supporting civil libertarian groups and engaging with maybe those independent MPs who are prepared to stick it to the government, what else can we do as community members when we're starting to feel that this is becoming genuine overreach? Well, I think there needs to be a change in culture, um, and that's easier said than done. But we have changed culture. We changed culture, for example, in this country on climate change. We have started the conversation in relation to Indigenous Australia, although a long way to go. Um, it does require political leadership, but in the absence of political leadership, communities have got to do it. And in relation to climate, as I say, in relation to climate change, it's been a community-led response because of the failure of governments. In relation to this issue, which is a little more amorphous because it's, um, it's, it's not one particular factor as you have with climate change and global warming, here you've got a range of factors, you've got a culture. But, uh, you know, I think that when people are made aware of the powers that uh, police have now and security agencies have, but particularly police because most people don't ever encounter ASIO or if they do, they don't know they have, but with the AFP and state police forces, People do understand their powers. I mean, we have seen it a little bit in the context of COVID, but unfortunately mm. it's been pretty self-serving. Um, people who otherwise don't seem to care about um, liberties uh, suddenly become uh, irate about um, COVID. Not being able to get a haircut. <laughs> that, that's right. But also, you know, I mean, uh, you know, there's a hypocrisy about it. We see, for example, some media commentators, particularly those on Sky News After Dark, who rail against the COVID restrictions but have said nothing about this legislation. So you have to be consistent. If you're consistent, you would say we should always be aware of and be cognizant of and ensuring that police, one, exercise existing powers responsibly and lawfully, but two, that when they ask for powers, we need to always have a community discussion about whether it's necessary and not simply provide a rubber stamp. Yeah, I think that's really at the heart of it. I think that's how you engage people is not just calling out the laws, but drawing attention to the process itself. People often will say, if you've done nothing wrong, then what have you got to hide? And and that is often a justification for shutting down any dissent or anyone who wants to question the validity of these laws. But I often feel like maybe that could be turned on its head. You know, if you've got nothing to hide, <laughs> why are you rushing through these laws? Why... Is there such urgency behind these? If there's nothing wrong, what have you got to hide? And that really, I think, needs to be the catch cry from us as a citizenry when the speed and the push becomes so rapid that we can't even keep up. Well, I think that's, uh, again, a very good point. This idea where people say, well, it won't affect me. Mm. Yeah. Can you talk about that? 
Because I hear that a lot from people. Well, it, well, it might. It might. And there are plenty of cases where people who uh, have no connection to the law in other ways might find themselves the subject of a police raid. I think COVID has probably helped in that respect. You know, we've had a lot of people, particularly in Tasmania where I am, people in their 60s and 70s who've tried to keep up with the, you know, the, the rapid changes in, in rules, find themselves coming back into Tasmania after a holiday and, have, and then, you know, the police marching them off to a hotel or turning up at their house and finding them. And it has made, in my discussions, it has made people really more aware of police powers and more aware of saying, hey, you know, I never thought I'd ever have encounters with the law, but actually it's pretty frightening. And so, uh, you know, I think COVID is, is a lesson for us. No one's saying that there shouldn't be, of course, control of movement. But, you know, we have seen cases where people, you know, have been criminalised for making mistakes. And so I think that makes people more aware of the way in which police power can be overused. But also, you know, a lot of people would have said, I think at the start of COVID, well, that won't happen to me because I'll comply with all the laws. So it's having that experience. And I think in relation to these particular laws, we all have laptops, we all have phones, we all have, you know, people might have a whole IT set up at home. You are vulnerable because police get it wrong. And these are ordinary citizens that they, that they hit. And, you know, once you've been through the ringer with the police, you've then got to try and get some compensation from them. And that's easier said than done. It's not a pleasant experience. And it wouldn't happen, but for the fact that they've got laws with such enormous reach that every Australian is impacted by them. Yeah, just before you go, I note people have drawn attention to the fact that the warrant is issued by the um, Administrative Appeals Tribunal. How different is that from, say, going to a judge or a superior court? You know, our view is that only judges of superior courts ought to be able to issue these warrants because of the enormous reach and potential of these warrants. Sadly, that's not the government's view. They go to the Administrative Appeals Tribunal. You're much more likely to get the warrant issued. It's also a bit of a concern, I think, that the AAT has been so politicised by the current government by putting Liberal Party members, overtly putting Liberal Party members onto the tribunal. So it's not the best repository for the issuing of warrants. You mean suppository? Uh, no, I meant repository. <laughs> Little nod to our mate there. Hey, Greg, thanks so much for your time today. Fingers crossed we can sort of draw a bit more attention to this issue and, yeah, begin to change the culture and just how people see this overreach as not just something that happens to other people. Thank you very much. Greg Barnes, SC, the barrister and also a spokesperson for the Australian Lawyers Alliance. And he's also the author of The Rise of the Right, The War on Australia's Liberal Values. Yeah, I think, like we said there, any time a government is trying to force through laws at breakneck speed, the question we should be asking him is the one that they ask us all the time. What have you got to hide? Anyway, that's it for the show. Join us next time as we further break down the news on Todaylee.